John Ziegler here. Excited to announce that we have our first sponsor of the Individual One podcast. Now, as you'd probably expect, I do not do endorsements unless I actually use the product. And I just started using this one. It's Imbue CBD. If you're a golf fan like I am, and you've probably read about how CBD is all the rage with all sorts of respected people raving about the various positive physical aspects of CBD, especially among people like me who are, let's face it, starting to feel the impact of aging. Recently, I started trying multiple products from Imbue CBD, and I can already tell that, among other things, I am for sure sleeping more soundly. And my wife says she loves the Imbue CBD facial cream, although, to be honest, she doesn't need it. In case you haven't heard, CBD is the powerful extract from the hemp version of cannabis. And while it may offer many of the health benefits of marijuana, there's no high, it's legal, and doesn't require a prescription. The source I trust for CBD is Imbue CBD. This is a top-of-the-line product and classy in every way. Consequently, Imbue CBD is not inexpensive, but I got you a discount to explore all the many ways CBD might be able to help you. Go to ImbueCBD.com and get 25% off when you enter John Z. Again, enter John Z for 25% off at IMBUECBD.com. That's ImbueCBD.com, promo code John Z. This is episode number 77 of the Individual One podcast. For the record, individual number one is President Donald J. Trump. And I am your host, John Ziegler, and we're broadcasting from Los Angeles, California, and are distributed internationally by the Global Story Network. This is the bi-weekly program which takes an honest and hard look at the presidency of Donald J. Trump from a conservative perspective, because unfortunately no one else is willing or able to tell the real truth about him. And unlike the corporate media, We here at the Individual One Podcast have most definitely not been compromised or co-opted. Welcome to the program. Please remember to subscribe, rate, review, and share it via social media. And follow us on Twitter at Individual One Pod. That's Individual One Pod. This is a very special day, not just for the podcast, but for the United States of America, because this is the day in which Donald J. Trump will be impeached by the House of Representatives. Correct. This is really the reason why this podcast was created almost a year ago. Uh, To fully understand the context of where I'm coming from on today's events, I think it's important to go back a little bit and give you my history on this topic. It really goes back over 20 years because as a conservative, I was adamant that Bill Clinton back in 1998-1999 should have been impeached and removed from office. It was incredibly devastating to me psychologically and on my view of the world that not only did that not happen, it didn't come close to happening. And that even the Republicans in the Senate ended up caving, wimping out, and the Senate trial for Bill Clinton was a sham. I believe that was a seminal moment in the history of this country. I believe that, among many things, Bill Clinton changed the dynamic when it came to lying, not just among public figures, but in our society as a whole. Now we fast forward 20-some years, and frankly, what Bill Clinton did seems like child's play in comparison to what Bill uh, Donald Trump, Freudian slip, that Donald Trump is going to be impeached for and frankly should be impeached for but will not be because I have been very clear throughout this process that while I am in favor of Donald Trump's impeachment, I do not think that the Ukrainian episode isn't even in the top five or ten situations that should have resulted in Donald Trump's impeachment. And I think Donald Trump would be the first person to agree with that. Correct. He's, he's essentially said it, if you read between the lines. Uh, so I am conflicted about what has happened today. I have played a very, very, very small uh, but noteworthy role in all of this because one of the Democrats who has been leading the charge for almost a year— for Donald Trump's impeachment is my good friend, Democratic Congressman John Yarmuth, who is the chairman of the Budget Committee and has been in Congress since 2006. Uh, he's been my friend since uh, years before that. We've kept in very close contact. He's been on this podcast several times. And it was on my other podcast, The World According to Zig, almost, I guess it was uh, 13 months ago, where I passionately tried to convince 
John to be in favor of Donald Trump's impeachment in general. The Democrats had just won the House of Representatives. John was going to be the chairman of the Budget Committee. I had him on my podcast. I said, are you generally in favor or not in favor of Donald Trump being impeached? And he said, I am not in favor of that. And I said, can I uh, try to persuade you? He said, sure, give it your best shot. And I proceeded to uh, lay the groundwork for why I think it's incredibly important, if not imperative, that Donald Trump be impeached, not removed, because I was well aware that that was never going to happen based upon the current political climate, because Republicans control the Senate. You need 67 votes in the Senate to remove. But to me, the idea of impeaching Donald Trump was incredibly significant and paramount because of what it would say about his presidency, making it clear that this was not a normal presidency from a historical perspective, and what it would mean for precedent in the future. That, and basically my argument, I think this was the winning argument with John, because he admits publicly that I was the person that uh, was most uh, integral in changing his mind. My argument boiled down to, in the future, we may have a president of this country who is even more dangerous than Donald Trump, who is not a buffoon, who is actually really good at this, a demagogue who is really good at this, a guy with fascist inclinations who really knows what he's doing and who isn't just about his own uh, aggrandizement, his own attention, his own adulation from the cult crowd, who really, really wants to do serious damage. And it is my fear, and this might not be too far in the future, it is my fear that that person might be able to use the lack of Donald Trump's impeachment to protect themselves from being removed from office. And if, if that alone, if that alone was the reason to impeach Donald Trump, that that was a worthy cause, that it, this was protection from a future tyrant. It's not perfect protection, by the way. It's not close to perfect protection. And the way this impeachment is going down is nowhere near close to perfect protection. But it's at least a step in that direction. It's at least a, a foot in the door for a future Congress to say, whoa, 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 wait a minute. Hold on. Congress has set the precedent that this kind of behavior is impeachable. Just because he was not removed does not mean it's not an impeachable offense. The majority of the House of Representatives voted to indict. That's what impeachment is. The fact that it was a sham trial in the Senate is unfortunate, but that's not determinative as far as what an impeachable offense actually is. And so, very much to his credit, John Yarmouth became a leader in this, in this movement. He predicted more forcefully than anyone else that Donald Trump would be impeached. To my credit, I predicted... I think it was within a week or so uh, of Donald Trump's election back in 2016 that the following things would occur, that he would be incredibly unpopular. The Democrats would use that unpopularity to win back the House of Representatives in the 2018 midterm election, that he would be impeached in 2019 once they got control of the House and had the power to impeach him, and that he would be acquitted in the Senate. All of that has gone down almost exactly as I said. In fact, if I had to say, the only thing I've been wrong about is I've been probably too optimistic about how the process would go down. This impeachment process has not gone as well as I would have predicted it would have in 2016. I never thought he would be removed, but even I thought, even a couple of months ago, I thought they would get a few Republican votes, at least some people who were retiring from office and who were no longer under the thumb of Donald Trump. Incredibly, that has not happened. And there's no evidence that's going to happen. And just for the record, we are taping this podcast during the middle of this debate that's going on longer than I had anticipated. Uh, but, you know, one of the benefits of the fact that we're living in, there's not too many benefits, but one of the benefits of living in such a partisan era is that we don't have to wait till the end of this debate to know what's going to happen. I can I can very confidently tell you, even though it hasn't happened yet, that by the time you're listening to this, Donald Trump has been impeached on an almost completely, totally 
partisan party line vote. Democrats might lose two or three votes. There might be some more votes who uh, uh, who do not vote in favor of Donald Trump on the Democratic side on the second article of impeachment, which is the obstruction of Congress. And I do believe that that is philosophically the weaker. It's also politically the weaker of the two, I believe, frankly, fairly weak articles of impeachment in comparison to other things that Donald Trump did that I think are even more significant and where the evidence might be even stronger against him. But this is where we are. This is what we've got. I guess it's better than nothing. But I am quite positive uh, that I'm I'm taking no risk in saying that uh, Donald Trump has now been impeached on a party line, almost entirely party line vote. That saddens and somewhat surprises me. It is an indication of just how much of a cult the Republican Party has become that even those who are leaving the cult, they are leaving the cult, they are still acting as if they are members of cult 45. Correct. It is sad. It's it's unbelievable. And it's, it's just flat out ridiculous. But this is where we are. This is the world we now live in. Even Republicans retiring will not do the right thing. They're going to live the rest of their lives not having voted to impeach a guy who who the heck knows what the future holds with Donald Trump? On, an, on any given day, he is capable of humiliating somebody who did not vote for his impeachment. And there might be a lot of those days because I'm in that camp that believes that his reelection, while not still, quote unquote, probable, is still much more than possible. It's getting close to the 50 percentile. If you look at the most recent polls and the way the uh, economy is going and the way the environment is heading. And so that gives us up to another five years, five years of Donald Trump with theoretically no accountability to the voters, with theoretically zero concern about his own political party losing more seats in a midterm election because he doesn't give a rat's ass about the Republican Party. Correct. So so you have a uniquely poorly designed person to be president to begin with who is even more uniquely poorly designed to have a second term and, and a vengeful second term having gotten away with what happened with regard to the Russian investigation. Uh, I'm not going to get into that. And have got and in his mind, having gotten away with what happened with regard to Ukraine and the quid pro quo there, where he used U.S. military funding for a U.S. ally against an, a foreign adversary, Russia. He used that as leverage to try to get that ally to dig up dirt on a political opponent, opponent Joe Biden. That's why he's going to be impeached today, because that is considered to be abuse of power by almost all the Democrats and only one person, only one person who was a Republican, Justin Amash. And how it is that he's not being referred to a Republican, I don't know. This is strange to me. He was elected as a Republican. He was forced to leave the Republican caucus. I mean, he was a true blue Republican, a Tea Party Republican, a conservative libertarian like I am. And so to call him not a Republican or to say that somehow uh, no no Republicans voted for impeachment is just flat out false. But that's how it will be portrayed even in the anti-Trump media, because now he's an independent. But Justin Amash, and, and I tweeted this today, I have to say, and this is sad, that if everything was reversed about this impeachment, if the House belonged to Republicans and Barack Obama was still president of the United States and the facts and the allegations were exactly the same. The only person I can be 100 percent sure of would be taking the same position and saying the same things is Justin Amash. Correct. That's it. One person out of 435 in the, Dem- in the democratically controlled House of Representatives, only one person. That doesn't mean it would be only one. He's the only one I could be 100% sure of. That's pathetic. That is a situation where, you know what? We're better than that. Well, in the, in the words of the late, great Elijah Cummings, we're not better than that, unfortunately. Uh, that's who we are. And, and we, might only, we might be lucky to only have the one, Justin Amash, who's in a fairly unique situation. So that's where this is. He's going to be impeached. My prediction will come true. But the reality is not nearly as grand as I had hoped that it would be or I anticipated that it would be. Uh, In a lot of ways, this is a sham impeachment. Uh, 
you know, my wife, who I've referred to often as someone who is a uh, a soft member of the Trump cult. She she denies that she's a soft member of the Trump cult, but she is. She has the virus. Uh, it's in her. It runs in her family. I, I just uh, do a pretty decent job of containing that virus so that it doesn't go full blown. Uh, but you know, she made an observation watching the endless, pointless debate on television today that I think is exactly right. That this is all an act. That everybody is acting. That this is the season finale of this year of the Trump reality show. Correct. That's what this is. This is season five, if you will. You can argue over this, whether this is season five or season six. But if you think about it in years, this is the end of the fifth year of the Trump reality show. It's setting up a can't-miss season number six. The writers are just going to go completely nuts in season number six because we'll have impeachment, we'll have the Democratic primaries, we will have uh, the general election campaign, and then probably the most contentious, and hopefully not, but I think likely very close election in 2020, an election that in almost under no circumstances will leave us uh, without Donald Trump still around. In fact, uh, there's some very, very bad scenarios where he just barely loses and does not concede and his people don't believe that he lost. And now we have real problems. Uh, we're not there yet, but I do think we need to be prepared for that um, possibility because it is it is an increasing uh, likelihood, especially since I think the politics of this are going to make that scenario uh, very conceivable. But my wife is right. This, this is not a real impeachment in the sense of, well, one, everyone knows what the result's going to be. And, and two, it does feel like everyone's going through the, through the, through the, 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 the lines in the script. This is all an act. This is Shakespeare. This is you know, all the world's a stage and every man's an actor. And, you know, it's especially so when it comes to the Republicans who are getting up there during this debate and spewing the same bogus talking points, all for an audience of basically two entities, Colt 45. I love the poorly educated. And Donald Trump himself. Correct. That's the only audience. They are up there showing their allegiance to the king, to the emperor with no clothes. And each one's trying to outdo the next with just how devoted they are to Donald Trump. And it's pathetic. It is really sad to watch. You cannot be serious. Not one of them willing to tell the truth. Very, almost nobody on the Republican side willing to even say, you know what, this was wrong, which it obviously was. This was unpresidential. This was dangerous. I mean, you could make a theoretical argument that it's not impeachable. If it was out of context and this was the only thing that Donald Trump ever did in this realm, I think you could make a fairly decent argument that, okay, maybe it was a misunderstanding, but it's not a misunderstanding. This is the way Donald Trump works. He is Tony Soprano. He is the presidential mob boss. And this and I, I think one of the reasons why he is so miffed at this impeachment is that it, it really is just the tip of the iceberg of all the other stuff that he knows that he has done and that he's going to essentially get away with. Most specifically, when it comes to the Mueller report and at least 10, I believe, more than that episodes of obstruction of justice and that far more significant investigation. Uh, I'm not going to get into that. So we have this situation now where, yes, Trump will be impeached. Trump's uh, legacy will have that black mark on it. Uh, that's good. That's important. I, I don't want to let that go totally. There is still significance to this. There is still an important uh, role for this impeachment to play, especially if he is defeated. The problem is, though, in a weird way, this actually increases the stakes of making sure he is defeated and ideally soundly defeated in 2020 because having impeached him now and having the Senate acquit him with a bogus trial and what I'm also quite confident is going to be, if not totally, largely a party line vote. Once that happens, if he is reelected, I do think that that makes impeachment more difficult in a second term unless you have an economic collapse and therefore the political environment totally changes. So, but from a philosophical standpoint, you really only get one bite of this apple. 
And for him to be emboldened, for him to be revengeful, for him to believe that he can get away with virtually anything, if he wins a second term, I'm sorry, look out. Just look out. Correct. Because we ain't seen nothing yet. And that is the scary part of this. So I'm looking for the optimistic scenario, which is unusual for me because I'm a pessimist by nature, which means I'm usually right. But I'm looking for he's an impeached one-term president, an impeached two-term president where you really, it's much more difficult to get at him should he do even worse things in a second term is really pretty scary, especially considering the fact that 40% of, his, of the country, if not more, is acting as if they are in a cult led by an emperor with no clothes. I love the poorly educated. Now, uh, the, this the debate, I do want to mention this, this debate has been just sad and pathetic uh, and, and, and really frustrating to watch. Uh, it's not going to change anybody's minds. I'm, I'm sure it did not change anybody's mind. And, uh, and it just goes to show just how unbelievably divided and partisan uh, we are. So partisan that the President of the United States on the eve of being impeached, I mean, just before he gets impeached, has the audacity to essentially say something from the Oval Office that, in a rational world, would further facilitate his impeachment, meaning the, the, it would prove the mentality that caused all of this to begin with. And I'm referencing a statement he made about Adam Schiff. Now, Adam Schiff is a Democratic congressman from here in Southern California, a guy who I actually like. I think he's gotten a very raw deal from the Republican side here. I think he's handled a very, very difficult situation pretty darn well. Uh, I, I think that he is sincere in what he's doing. I think he's been pretty smart. Some of the statements we've played on this podcast have been some of the best, if not the best, that anyone has made on this subject and making the argument for impeachment. I have mocked that the best they have on Adam Schiff, and, and boy, do they, I mean, boy, has Trump fomented hatred towards Adam Schiff among his cult. Uh, they all think that he's a lying sack of shit because his name rhymes with shit. That's that's the level of discourse we now have. Trump continuing to mock his name, and it works. As bizarre as it is, as sad as it is, it works. And here he is once again going after Adam Schiff with a lie. Now, to be clear, Adam Schiff, now this may have been a mistake on his part, but it was certainly nothing close to what the Trump, uh, what Trump is saying uh, occurred. Adam Schiff parodied what Donald Trump said in that infamous phone call with President Zelensky of Ukraine. It was obviously a parody. It was not intended to be a quotation. It was intended to make a larger point through parody. And Donald Trump understands that his cult probably doesn't even understand what parody is, because after all... I love the poorly educated. And they trust him, so he can take something like that, and flat-out lie about it. And now a pathological liar is trying to turn Adam Schiff into the real liar by not allowing people to understand what actually occurred here. And he made this statement from the Oval Office. The whole impeachment thing is a hoax. Uh, We look forward to getting on to the Senate. Uh, We're not entitled to lawyers. We're not entitled to witnesses. We're not entitled to anything in the House. It's a total sham. Uh, when you have a guy like Shifty Shift go out and uh, make up a statement that I made, she, he said, this is what he said, but I never said it. He totally made it up. In Guatemala, they handle things much more diff- much tougher than that. And because of immunity, has House immunity, because of immunity, he can't be prosecuted. He, he took a statement and totally made it up. It was a lie. It was a fraud. And you just can't do those things. So, you know, look, this has been a, uh, a total sham from the beginning. Everybody knows it. I've never seen the Republican Party so united. Well, he's right about the Republican Party being united because there is no Republican Party. It's the Trump Party. So, of course, it's united. By definition, you have to be pro-Trump to be in the party. Justin Amash is the perfect proof of that. So the idea that it's united is not surprising and doesn't prove anything. The most shocking thing that Trump said there, other than the lies about Schiff and about the process, 
which in a normal world would be a big deal, but we're long past that. That that horse has left the barn a long time ago in this insanity. But the most shocking part is where he's citing Guatemala? Guatemala, as this is our model for how we ought to be doing things. Really? You cannot be serious. He's citing a third world country for how we ought to be handling our, our, our political leaders? And the implication there is that Adam Schiff should be going to jail. If we were just more like Guatemala, I would be able to put Adam Schiff in jail for creating a parody of a real statement I made. He didn't make it out of whole cloth. He parodied a real statement that the White House put out, what is not a complete, but apparently uh, mostly a transcript of what occurred in a phone call between him and a foreign leader. You just cannot make this stuff up. It's just flat out ridiculous. And this is just before he's about to get impeached, showing the exact mentality that is causing his impeachment to begin with. Now, one of the misnomers, there are many misnomers that are out there that are being facilitated by the right wing state run pseudo conservative media that I used to be a part of is this idea this narrative, that this is a tough vote, that what happened today when Donald Trump got impeached is a tough vote for Democrats. And the Democrats are going to pay a steep price for this next November. This is the narrative. Now, this is a very enticing narrative to Republicans because they want, well, first of all, they want to believe that they're going to do well next November. But two, they really want to believe that the country isn't buying the sham, that as Trump says, this is a hoax and that the majority of Americans not only don't believe it, but now they're ready to rally behind Donald Trump and punish Democrats for impeaching their emperor with no clothes. This is bullshit. Correct. And I wrote a column about why this is total bullcrap. Uh, which you can find at our Twitter page, which is at Individual One Pod. That's at Individual One Pod. This is my regular column for media, where I blow apart this myth. And there's a lot of ways to blow apart this myth. But one of them is that uh, the impeachment polling numbers, while they have hit a brick wall exactly as I told you they would, I told you at least a month or two ago, that when it was looking like you know, the, the polling was starting to go towards the side of pro-impeachment and, and remove him from office. I said, don't don't get too excited because you're going to hit a brick wall of the Trump cult. It can only go so high. It can't get past 55 percent. And I was right about that. That's about the highest that any pro-impeachment poll has been. Uh, and with most polls indicating around 48, 49, 50 percent of the people uh, in this country are in favor of not just impeachment, but removal. And, you know, I think even Democrats uh, have been really negligent in making this point. And I made it on Twitter last night. And, and George Conway, of all people, Kellyanne Conway's uh, very controversial husband, retweeted this. What I said was, you know, this idea that somehow 50 percent of the American people or thereabouts being in favor of the president's not just impeachment, but removal is somehow a small number, is ludicrous. It's not just a historically incredibly high number, way, way higher than was the case when Bill Clinton was, in fact, impeached by the Republican House representatives, and I believe 49 uh, senators voted to convict, and Arlen Specter stupidly voted uh, not proven, otherwise they would have had 50, or maybe it would have been 51, but it was in that realm uh, you know, a, a, a large number of senators voting to remove from him office, but not enough to get to the 67 number, that the polling then was much more anti-impeachment than it is today. That's the first part of this that it has not been articulated properly, even by Trump critics. But the more significant part, and this was the essence of that tweet that George Conway retweeted, is this. When you have... 50% of the American public believing that you should be impeached and removed. I'm sorry. You have lost the moral authority to govern the country. Correct. You cannot govern, especially in a crisis, because in a crisis, 
You need to, one, be trusted, and two, you need to be able to unify the country at least somewhat. When 50% believe that less than a year from a general election, you are so unfit for office that you should be removed, you cannot do that. You are incapable of doing that. And if Donald Trump cared about the country, anywhere near as much as he cares about himself and his legacy and his family and what's going to happen in the future once he leaves office, if he ever does leave office, if he cared about the country, he would resign. Now, I know that's ludicrous because of his mentality, and and that should be very uh, illuminating as to why he's unfit. Someone who was fit for office would actually resign because they would realize, you know what, I can't do this job. I'm a danger to the country. If something really catastrophic happens, I don't have the capability, I don't have the moral authority anymore to be able to get us through it because 50% of the country has decided I should be removed. But that's not even being a factor in all this. And I still maintain, and others have said the same thing, but not nearly enough times or, or in, in enough uh, magnitude for it to make a difference, I really do believe that our great danger here, especially in this election year, is what happens if there's an actual crisis? What do we do then when the vast majority of the country doesn't trust Donald Trump and at least half wants him removed from office? That is not a person that can unify. That is not a person who can be trusted in a time of legitimate crisis. And it is it is sad that this issue of resignation, I am sure, has never even come up. You know, even Richard Nixon resigned. Even Richard Nixon resigned. Now, granted, he resigned because he was forced to because in the Senate it was made clear to him that he didn't have the support to be able to withstand impeachment. There are no senators with any guts or courage or balls left to do that with Donald Trump. And because we live in a much more divided country and because there's a conservative media industrial complex, Fox News Channel, talk radio, the Internet that did not exist in 1974, as I've told you many times, that was never going to happen. But even Richard Nixon realized for the good of the country, I have to go, even if I don't believe I did anything that warrants my removal from office. And as far as where this is going. So anyway, but let me, before I go to where this is going, I just want to make the point that this is not a difficult vote for Democrats. The polling is actually pretty much in their favor. I've spoken to to my friend John Yarmouth, and I don't want to get into the details of what he's told me, but he indicates that there's polling uh, internally on their side that supports my point of view on this, that they are they are fairly confident that they are on firm ground here. It's not overwhelming, but they are on firm ground here. And that's why you've seen almost no defections on the Democratic side, that the polling they're getting indicates this is not a difficult vote for us. And let's also be very clear, because the Republican Senate isn't going to remove him, this is a no harm, no foul situation. In a weird way, the Republican Senate is making it far easier for the Democratic House to impeach him because He's not going to be removed. The Senate trial is going to be a sham. It's all going to be over in all likelihood by the end of January. By next November, this is going to be ancient history. Correct. Nobody is going to be thinking about this because it didn't happen. There's no removal from office. And so it's just delusional to me that so many people on the right are thinking, oh, boy, this is this is going to be a really difficult vote for Democrats. They're going to be punished for this because the, the, the American people don't want impeachment. Well, in their minds, impeachment didn't happen because he's not going to be removed. And 10 months from now, my God, that's 13,000 probably, uh, news cycles for now. The news cycle is about 45 minutes long in this day and age. This is like, uh, you know, by next November, having my two-year-old daughter still be talking about what she's going to get in her stocking on Christmas Day. I mean, it's going to be ancient history. They're, they're, so it will be irrelevant. I mean, it'll, it'll be part of the background. I'm sure Trump will bring it up. 
but and I'm sure that you know Democrats will probably bring it up substantively at times, but it's not going to dominate the conversation. The, the issue in 2020, hopefully, unless Democrats really screw this up, which is quite possible, is going to be, all right, uh, it, do we want four more years of this? It, it, this should be a litmus test. This should be a referendum on Donald Trump. OK, do, can we withstand as a country another four years of this? Hopefully the answer to that's going to be no. My concern is that Democrats might not choose the right candidate to make sure that it is a pure referendum on Donald Trump in four more years. Now, as far as the Senate trial, and, and part of the reason I'm talking about this now is because with the holidays coming up, we're going to be taking a short hiatus. We're going to miss, I think, uh, two or three scheduled uh, podcasts. And so I at least want to set the tone before the next time I speak to you via this podcast, which will be in 2020. And I do believe this is going to be a total sham. And the only person I have any hope for, the only person I have any hope for is Mitt Romney. And my hope for him is uh, diminishing and very guarded. Uh, you know, in a, in a rational world, he would be the Justin Amash of the Senate. I don't know that he has it in him. And I've said many times that the reason why he's not going to have it in him is because John McCain is dead and he has no allies giving him cover. And so having one person out there, which would be so significant from a historical perspective, and I'm sure I'll talk more about this when we get into 2020 and the Senate trial actually begins. But if Romney were to stand up and strongly make the case that Trump should be removed and vote to remove him, I do think that would have enormous psychological and precedent significance with regard to the historical record of this impeachment. My gut tells me that's not going to happen. I really wish that it would. I'm hopeful that it might, but I'm not counting on it. And I'm expecting that uh, there'll be more Democrats to vote for acquittal than there will be Republicans voting for removal. Uh, I'm hope, you know, I still have, I'm a pessimist at heart, but I always hold out hope until there's no other choice. And so I'll continue to do that until I see it. But all signs are pointing in a negative direction right now with regard to that. One other thing before we take a a brief break and then come back with our political analysis of where we are in the Democratic primaries and the general election. I mentioned in the last couple of podcasts that one of the great advantages that Donald Trump has is the power of incumbency and his willingness to use it like no one else does. And I referenced that there's a couple uh, scandals within the military, including the deaths of three a naval personnel by a Saudi military member that, you know, we've just forgotten about. I mean, it's amazing how this got almost no attention, apparent terrorist attack by a Saudi military member on our own military. And this is a president with strong ties to Saudi Arabia who has defended the Saudi Arabian royal family on numerous occasions, even when the facts did not warrant it. And then, of course, there's the issue of him pardoning Uh, the uh, several uh, military members who uh, were convicted of war crimes. And I said in the last two podcasts, you know, well, here's what Trump's going to do. Trump's going to go to the Army-Navy game. And when he goes to the Army-Navy game, uh, he's going to be cheered because these are mostly Republicans and these are military people who have been trained to honor the office of the presidency. And and this will all now be forgotten. There'll be no narrative that somehow uh, Donald Trump is losing support within the military because of these scandals. And this will all be forgotten. And this is part of the power of being the incumbent. Well, even I underestimated just how much advantage Donald Trump was going to take of that opportunity, because not only did he go to the Army Navy game, a game I used to attend almost on a yearly basis as a kid growing up in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, but he made a mockery of the whole damn thing. Uh, He flipped the coin before the game began wearing a Trump 2020 campaign hat emblazoned with Make America Great Again. Now, that is uh, absurd. It's just flat out ridiculous. Uh, And it's probably a violation of the law, the Hatch Act, not that we enforce that anymore. But here you have the president of the United States when he, you know, they make a hat 
that says Army-Navy game. I mean, the, the CBS announcers were wearing them during the game. It's camouflaged. I mean, that would be the appropriate hat. It was raining. So, okay, I get he wants to, he wants to wear a hat to protect that hair of his. So, he, but, so, but there were plenty of options to wear an appropriate hat. Instead, he wears a campaign hat. It says Trump 2020 on the back of it. Red, make America great again while flipping the coin at the Army-Navy game, and then he kept that hat on throughout the contest, and he kept moving around, making sure that the cameras were on him as much as possible. Traditionally, the President of the United States, and I, I have never seen a President of the United States wear any sort of message hat at an Army-Navy game. I, I can't even remember one wearing a hat, no matter what the weather is, and it's usually bad in late November, early December in Philadelphia. But he not not only I've never seen a president wear a hat of any sort, certainly not political, certainly not campaign, I've never seen a president move around that much. Traditionally, what you do is you sit on one side in the first half, at halftime you make a very distinguished walk across the field to the other side, you make no uh, you know, nothing to make attention to yourself. Everyone cheers, and that's it. But that's not Donald Trump because he understands the media. He understands imaging, and he's going to make it work for himself in every possible way. Now, I, I mention this not because it's the most significant thing, but this is the way he's going to use the presidency throughout 2020. Normal rules, normal traditions aren't going to matter. It's going to be, speaking of football, the old Al Davis, formerly Oakland Raiders, just win, baby. That's all that matters to Trump. So look out. This is the way it's going to go down, and nobody's going to stop him. Nobody in the Republican Party is going to stop him. No one in the administration is going to stop him. And that's why he is a threat that should not be taken lightly. And Democrats are delusional, delusional if they think this is going to be an easy win in 2020. Now, in a moment, I'll have a few closing thoughts on this episode of the podcast regarding that political situation. But first, here's an important interview I did with Tom Bauer, the founder of our sponsor, Imbue CBD. Tom, thanks so much for joining us and for your sponsorship of the program. Please uh, tell our listeners a little bit about your company, Imbue Botanicals. Sure, John. Imbue Botanicals produces really the most extensive line of premium clinical-grade, full-spectrum CBD products, including tinctures, capsules, topical lotions and salves, and even award-winning beauty products. They're available in multiple strengths for both people as well as pets. Our premium Colorado-grown hemp products are non-GMO, cruelty-free, and even vegan. Now, a lot of people might not be that familiar yet with CBD. It's getting a lot of publicity. But for those who aren't, what is CBD and why do you guys think it's so important? CBD is short for cannabidiol. It's one of the 115 or so cannabinoids that are found in the cannabis plant. It's generally accepted as the cannabinoid or the element, basically, that provides the health benefits for cannabis. But science has shown really that CBD works best when combined with all the other cannabinoids and the natural terpenes that are found naturally in the plant, which is why our products are full spectrum, meaning they offer a full cadre of all the cannabinoids and terpenes for maximum effectiveness. Now, Tom, you mentioned that Imbue uses hemp. Tell our audience, if you will, the difference between hemp and marijuana, and why your product is not the latter. Great, John. It's really important to understand this. You know, we're all familiar with medical marijuana. Our products are, are not made from marijuana. They're actually made from hemp. Basically, hemp and marijuana are both the cannabis sativa plant. The difference is that hemp contains extremely low levels of THC, which is the cannabinoid that makes you high when you ingest or smoke marijuana. By law, hemp must contain 0.3% or less of THC by dry weight. So, so low, basically, that you can't get high from the product. So, in essence, basically, with hemp, you get all the health benefits of medical marijuana without the high or the psychoactive effect of THC. I should also add here that Congress last year passed the 2018 Farm Bill, which essentially legalized hemp federally and descheduled all the non-THC cannabinoids. So, Essentially, it's, it's, uh, it's legal, which obviously people want to know. Is, you know, can, can I buy it? Can I use it? It's legal. Now, when, when I use it, it's really helped my sleeping. I've only just started using uh, some of your products. But tell us, uh, what are some of the benefits that our listeners might find if they, if they use Imbue Botanical products? 
really great question, John. We're actually not allowed to make claims about CBD or products per the FDA. Just an aside, if your listeners come across sites out there that are making health claims, we should always just avoid them. Just You don't want to deal with, with folks like that. It's, it's not legal to do that. But that doesn't mean that there aren't health benefits to CBD. We at MBU Botanicals always encourage our customers to do their own research. There is a ton of information and studies available on the Internet. You want to talk to your physician, your independent pharmacist, even your veterinarian. You know, become informed. We've seen some absolutely amazing things personally and with our customers. Obviously, you know, the onus, if you will, is on each individual to to go out there and, and do the kind of research to see if it may be a fit for the kind of things that they're experiencing. Also, you know, check out our website, which has a ton of additional information as well. And that website is? It's www.imbuecbd.com. It's www.imbuecbd.com. Now, you mentioned the FDA, and just before we taped this interview, there was a news story where the FDA put out a warning and sent letters to, I think, 15 different CBD companies. Yours was not one of them. It was perceived as the FDA basically, I don't know, seemed to be like, backing away a little bit from CBD. What was your interpretation of what the FDA did and and how should our listeners interpret it? That's an extremely good question as well, John. And I think first and foremost is what the FDA is doing, especially when they're sending out letters to companies that they send letters out to, is doing their job. Their job is to really protect the American public from, you know, basically, you know, drugs that shouldn't be there, that aren't doing what they're supposed to do, that can cause harm, and also making sure that companies are doing what they're supposed to do. In in the case of these letters, these companies were making health claims simply because of how FDA operates and and the way that, uh, you know, CBD, which is basically a kind of a a brand new uh, thing for FDA, they're not allowed to make. You know, I'm glad that they're doing that. You know, we never make claims uh, at Imbue Botanicals. That's something that, that is, again, is, it goes back to the customer to do a lot of their own research on. They also came out with some basic overviews and essentially said you should really know what you're doing before you take CBD. It's not necessarily something you should be taking in water and in food products. You should basically get the kind of information that you need and talk to your healthcare team, your physician, your pharmacist, your, your veterinarian to make sure that there's a medical professional, you know, kind of assisting in the process. Now, in my experience, having used the product and seen the packaging and everything, you guys are totally first class, but first class comes with some expense. You guys are a little bit more expensive than your competitors. Tell us tell us why you bring more value. We are more expensive than some folks, and certainly not more expensive than others, but uh, but we're, we are a higher-priced product, and the reason for that is, is where we grow, how we extract, how we formulate our products. We do that for maximum effectiveness. And, you know, what our folks tell us, and whether they're the pharmacies that we sell to or the customers that use our product or patients who use our product every day, they tell us that the product works and works better than things that uh, other products that they bought. It's more expensive to do it correctly, but ultimately that's obviously what customers want. If you're going to spend the money, They want something that works, and that's what our products do. So, Tom, if our listeners want to buy your products or learn more about them, where should they go? Go to our website. It's www.imbuecbd. That's www.imbuecbd.com, imbuecbd.com. Tom, thanks so much for your time and your sponsorship. John, thank you. Thanks for what you're doing. Appreciate it. I do want to mention, with regard to the most recent polling, there was one poll by USA Today and Suffolk University that was very strange and hasn't gotten as much publicity as I thought, mainly because I guess it's so strange. People are just presuming that it's an outlier, a poll that is just so odd that you just ignore it. Uh, Some um, The conservative media is all over it because it shows – Donald Trump beating every single Democratic opponent in a general election in the popular vote. And that's unheard of when it comes to national polling. I mean, Joe Biden has, to my recollection, not lost to Donald Trump in any in any general election popular vote tabulation from a legitimate polling source since they've started doing those surveys. But even Biden loses to Trump by three points here. I think the explanation for why this happened, and, I, and I'm not someone who just says, you know what, if the poll doesn't tell you what you want, you just ignore it. In fact, I'm the opposite. I tend to focus more on polls to tell me what I don't want to hear because I want to make sure I'm not blindsided. 
But there is a huge percentage of undecided voters in all of these contests, including the most dramatic example was Donald Trump versus Pete Buttigieg, the mayor of South Bend, Indiana. They actually had 24 percent undecided in that head to head contest. Now, that's not possible. (laughs) I'm sorry. It's not possible that 24 percent, unless there was in a very strange way they asked the question, that 24 percent would express no opinion, even though Buttigieg is not well known. And so it wasn't like Trump was getting 50 percent. He wasn't getting anywhere near 50 percent. He was still in that same realm of 43, 44, 42 percent. It's that the Democratic candidates weren't even getting to 40 percent because it was such a high percentage of undecided. So I don't know what to make of the USA Today poll, but I throw it out there because there is some data supporting the idea that Trump is making headway when it comes to the 2020 election. Uh, As far as the Democrats are concerned, Joe Biden continues to be solid when it comes to the overall popular vote nationwide. But that's not the way you choose a president in a primary. That's not the way you choose a primary in a general election, but it's at least somewhat close. Uh, The reality is Iowa and New Hampshire are going to weed out the field. They're going to set the narrative for the rest of the race. Pete Buttigieg is continuing to do very well in Iowa and New Hampshire. Joe Biden, not so much. So it's really going to come down to, all right, uh, who are going to be the last three or four? Are you going to have three more, three that make it all the way through, four that make it all the way through? Maybe five because Bloomberg has his own money. That's going to be the tale here. And what and the second part of the tale is, how does Joe Biden emerge out of Iowa, New Hampshire? Is he still strong enough to win Nevada and South Carolina? The the, the path for Joe Biden is, uh, you know, there's a a mess of if you think about a NASCAR race, there's a mess of cars pretty much finishing at the same time in both Iowa and New Hampshire. Biden's one of those cars. He then goes out ahead and wins New Hampshire. He wins South Carolina. And then from then on. Uh, he's got to lose it. That that's the best scenario for Joe Biden. Uh, I don't know if that's going to happen, but that's the one the scenario. If you're a Joe Biden fan, you should be rooting for. And I still believe that Joe Biden would be likely to beat Donald Trump, but I'm not as confident. I do believe that Donald Trump's chances are increasing, and uh, and dangerously so, largely because we now know, almost with certitude, barring a black swan event that the economy is not going to be in recession come November of 2020. And with a good economy and in peacetime and with an incumbent willing and able to use the power of the incumbency in his favor and with all the money he could possibly need to spend on his reelection, I'm sorry, uh, that is a situation where Trump is uh, is to be taken very, very seriously. And the chances of his reelection, I think, are increasing. So as we always do, we end this podcast with an update on the percentage chances of Trump not finishing his first term in office. It's rather ironic since this is the day he was impeached, but I'm going to put that at a near, not total, but a near all-time low of 6% and his chances of re-election at 48%. That'll do it for this edition of the podcast. We will be doing a podcast this Sunday, one more in 2020. I may have misled you earlier in the podcast when I described our coming hiatus, and then we will be taking off two or three podcasts for Christmas and New Year's. So make sure you join us for our next podcast on Sunday when we'll have a complete review of everything that happens on this impeachment day. Until then, uh, thanks so much for listening. Please remember to subscribe, rate, review, and share this via social media. Follow us on Twitter at IndividualOnePod. My name is John Ziegler. Until next time, you're listening to the Global Story Network.